Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the council. It's been a while. It's been a few weeks. I'm your host, Charlie Pacello. Boys, it's so great to be with you today on this beautiful, cold, kind of chilly day in Colorado. We are broadcasting live here in Denver, Colorado, all across the nation and all around the world. We are KUHS Denver Radio TV. We are the stream and we are touching lives all over the world. It's amazing how many countries that we are reaching now. And uh, we're over 200 countries. And it's because of you that this council exists. It's a council for people to bring together different ideas, perspectives, and understandings. And allow people to really get a grasp of some of the deeper truths of life. And of course, this show is all about healing, too. And healing from our trauma, our PTSD, the things that trouble us and trouble our souls. And to really get into the core things that sometimes we don't know how to be able to get into because it's very difficult terrain. But once we understand how to be able to do it, boy, it can be extraordinarily liberating. And to hearing the stories of others who have been able to do it to how they've overcome their tragedies and moved into triumph. I mean, that's what this, this council is all about. That's what this show is all about. And we are so glad, so very glad that you are tuning in today to our show and every show that you have tuned into. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm very, very grateful. And we have a lot of great shows here at KUHS, uh, a lot of great different DJs. Um, our audience is growing exponentially, like I said. And uh, we want to be a beacon of hope around the world so that we can uh, help to ground our society in honest, grounded, truthful conversations, authentic conversations about the very many issues that we are dealing with and uh, to confront, and we've got a lot. And so we want to be that place where truth is spoken and that you can rely on that and have the best that I can to help you give you the best information that's av available so you can make the decisions and choices that you need to make in your life to make your lives the best it can be. We strive to bring our city, our nation, and our world together by providing a platform where we celebrate our commonalities, our goodness, and our humanity. And boy, oh boy, do we need to connect to our humanity. And boy, we are going to be talking with one of our legendary guests here on the show. He has uh, inaugurated the show and has been on here many, many times. And we are, I'm so excited to uh, help to promote and premiere his brand new book that's going to be coming out it's coming home in vietnam and so let's we're going to get right into it we have um, our very esteemed and honored guest dr edward tick who is a poet and psychotherapist international activist and journey leader honoring uh, who's honored for his 40 years of pioneering work healing the invisible wounds of war and violent trauma He's a co-founder of Soldier's Heart, Inc., and subject matter expert on post-traumatic stress disorder and moral injury for the U.S. military. He is the author of four nonfiction books, including the groundbreaking War in the Soul, Healing Our Nation's Veterans from Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, and Warrior's Return, Restoring the Soul After War, as well as two previous books of poetry, Nationally and Internationally, Dr. Tick guides war survivors to achieve healing, meaning, reconciliation, and friendship. His work is devoted to healing from millenniums of collective trauma and restoring soul and spirit in our modern world. He has been seeking the most powerful healing practices to address the invisible wounds of war for over 40 years. 
and has led journeys to Vietnam for veterans, survivors, activists, and pilgrims for the past 20 years. Coming Home in Vietnam is a moving and revelatory collection that documents the people, places, and experiences on these journeys. It illuminates a soul-searching and healing that occurs when Vietnamese women and children and veterans of every faction of the American War gather together to share storytelling and ritual, grieving, reconciliation, and atonement. These poems reveal war's aftermath for Vietnamese and Americans alike and their return to peace, healing, and belonging in the very land torn by war's horrors. Welcome, Ed, to the show again. Thank you very much, Charlie. I'm honored to be with you and to be with our esteemed worldwide audience. And I thank everybody for joining us today and being willing to share these stories and witness to the truths we are trying to present. And that is exactly we're trying to present the truths of that of what happens to people in war, the the long term consequences, the casualties, the invisible casualties that very often go unnoticed because people um, maybe they don't want to notice. Maybe they don't want to hear their stories or don't know how to hear the stories. And so being able to have this kind of a platform to be able to start to share them in meaningful ways, I think, uh, allows us to have a deeper conversation. It certainly does. It is true that um, so many people uh, spontaneously recoil and talk about war, its violence, its pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And we, we both share the Greek tradition as well as exploring the Vietnamese. Aeschylus, the first tragic playwright who was a combat veteran, said 2,500 years ago, the first casualty of war is truth. Mm -hmm. The first casualty of war is truth. And so bless you and bless the council and our work together over these decades. We are working assiduously to try to return truth to the experience of war and surviving it. Well, and it's and when yeah. we bring veterans together uh, in our country, of uh, veterans and civilians as we've done together, or overseas when we gather uh, survivors together, we can together grope our ways toward truth and healing mm -hmm. uh, in more effective ways than can possibly happen alone. And with all due respect to therapists, uh, uh, there are ways to do it much more effectively than what happens in traditional uh, counseling session. Absolutely. Uh, there's more uh, healing that can be done when you're doing it in, the, in the, the, all the research and all the, all the, all the uh, effort that you have put into understanding the, 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 what is really truly at the core of what trauma is all about and PTSD and that it's a moral and spiritual wound. That moving through that, that there, and I have been at many of the soldiers' hearts uh, um, retreats and just recently led my own retreat or co-led a retreat with uh, another veteran. And it, in those process, in those five days, working through the very steps that you had so assiduously dedicated your life to finding and discovering or rediscovering, the transformations that happens in those five days is incredible. They have a, they have a greater transformation than years in therapy. Years. Exactly, yes. And so we can connect that with the Vietnam journeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yes, it is true uh, to our friends out there 
there really is a warrior's path home from war. Mm -hmm. And traditional cultures the world over in the past, and some even in the present, know the steps of return and practice them with their people. And uh, Charlie and I and our closest colleagues in the military and veteran worlds have been studying these, practicing them, traveling all over the world and all over our country to learn them, mm -hmm. uh, and applying them with extraordinary success. So. In a five-day retreat, we can bring about more healing from post-traumatic stress disorder order and moral injury than usually happens in a traditional therapy setting. Mm -hmm. And even more than, than that, uh, as Charlie shared, I have been leading healing journeys to Vietnam since 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, the first time I went was uh, for the 25th anniversary of the end of the war. And I've been going every year until the pandemic stopped it. So I've been back to every year uh, for 19 years. Uh, and to all my veteran brothers and sisters out there, guess what? I've also had my more than a year in country. <laughs> and I needed to achieve that also for my own reconciliation with history in our generation. But uh, some things we want to share at the outset that are really important and we want you to take away from this uh, council today is one, it is possible to heal and come home from war and to heal your PTSD. Mm -hmm. Two, there are really extensive practices that can bring about healing that are not done in the mainstream, but you can find them and do them uh, yourself or with facilitators like Charlie and I and some of our colleagues. It is utterly the case. I've led 19 healing journeys to Vietnam, so that uh, means in us. Uh, between 10 and 20 people on a journey, so somewhere between three and 400 Americans have gone back with me, about half of them veterans, many of them veteran family members, widows and survivors of veterans, children of veterans, uh, or their fathers who served, or oh, sometimes the fathers are alive, sometimes they've passed. Mm -hmm. And I've taken Iraq and Afghanistan veterans to Vietnam because they want the experience of reconciling with a former foe and they can't go back to the sandbox, to the Middle Eastern wars, so they come to Vietnam with us and also achieve significant healing. Mm -hmm. Scouts honor, more healing has been accomplished for nearly every veteran who has gone back to Vietnam for two to three weeks than they've achieved for 40 or 50 years since the war uh, from conventional psychiatric uh, methods. And we wanna share those stories today. We need, want you to know that. Another takeaway we really want you all to have is, this is unbelievable, but also we are bringing strange truths to you all. There is no chronic, long-term, war-related post-traumatic stress disorder in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. They don't have this affliction. I studied it all over the country. Uh, my colleagues and I have been to very remote places where Americans have never been on the ground before. The only thing they knew were our bombs from above. Mm -hmm. uh, I've studied it with the universities in Vietnam. Uh, we've done joint research with the Institute of Psychology in Hanoi, who confirm all of this. Even though the war was so destructive over there, we lost 58,000 people and 300,000 wounded. The Vietnamese had 3 million killed and 5 million wounded. We destroyed very much of their infrastructure and environment. And even with all of that, they don't have chronic PTSD. Wow. How is this possible? So we have to learn with them and from them. 
We can go there to achieve healing for our people. We can learn from them about the preventive and protective factors against traumatic breakdown mm -hmm. and bring some of those home. And we can achieve extraordinary friendship and reconciliation. Mm. Just like our warriors love each other. Warriors all over the world, when they can get together after conflict, love each other so deeply and so profoundly mm -hmm. that uh, uh, there is no intimacy like this. Yeah. The uh, Vietnamese veterans are giving some of the punchlines away. Uh, one <laughs> Viet Cong veteran said to our group of American returnees, from now on, American veterans and Vietnamese veterans must be the lips and tongue of the same mouth telling the world the same story. Wow. Another uh, veteran who was both Viet Minh and Viet Cong, so he was in World War II and the French War and the American War, and he just, uh, and our veteran said, you were at war for 25 years and you want to talk to us? And he just smiled and gave them big hugs and said, of course. We, from now, we forever, forevermore, we are brothers and sisters who survived the same hell. Our time in hell together made us the most intimate of brothers and sisters. Mm. And others say, uh, we know about your suffering in America, uh, and we want to share stories with you, and we've been waiting for you to come back. Um, so we know that you're having a trouble coming home in America, so please keep coming to Vietnam so we can love you into healing mm. and we can help you come home here. Mm. So these are the kinds of messages we get from these people of whom we you know, did this terrible war and killed three million. Ed, when did, uh, <clears throat> when did you get the idea for this book? I mean, was it just over the course of your journeys there to Vietnam that you just had this uh, like a, a general idea? Uh, but why did you choose poetry? I mean, you could have chosen any other kind of format as far as being it because, I mean, there's a, so many stories that you come in and, and, and listening to the, to the Vietnam veterans when they come back and how profoundly changed they are by these reconciliation journeys that you take everyone on or have taken them on. Um, but why did you decide to choose poetry as the means to communicate uh, this experience? Thank you. Good question and important. Uh, one reason is because I've been a poet since I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. And that's true. I, I've yeah. been using poetry to write my way through my life experiences. Mm. So, um, so, and so, and when I travel, uh, and we've been in Greece together, so mm. you also know this, and we've shared in there, and you know that I write poetry as we travel, mm. and bless you, you recite some of it for us. Um, <laughs> Well, well, I love um, your poetry. Your poetry is amazing. So thank you. So we have to share some of it this hour with our audience. Yes. Uh, but there is uh, so I do write poetry as my own form of journaling, and I've done it my whole life, and especially travel. There's a an ancient form of travel writing. It's actually from Japan. It's called haibun, H-A-I-B-U-N, uh, and Jap wandering Japanese poet priests would. Uh, right there, uh, keep sorry, keep travel journals, and they would write prose narratives about their travels. And then at the high points, they would break and just put in a haiku. Oh, wow. The haiku was the spiritual insight into cultural experience. Oh. So my journals are that. 
I'm keeping copious notes of what we experienced together along the way, uh, what uh, our veterans and our Vietnamese teach us, and then I break into poetry when I have insights or when uh, or strong emotion. So I'm writing Hai Van. Okay. So with the pandemic, well, these journeys are so important, so revelatory mm -hmm. of the nature of war, of uh, war trauma, the possibilities of healing from it, that I've always thought I need to write a book about this. Mm -hmm. When the pandemic hit and I had to stop the journeys for a while, uh, I thought, well, maybe this is a good time to write the book. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah. I, I, oh, I've already written it. I've written it in poetry. I don't have to write another nonfiction book. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what I did. I gathered all my poetry together and shaped the book into a like a travel log through Vietnam. Mm. So people are experiencing hearing and experiencing well what I experienced traveling there, what our American veterans or family members or spiritual pilgrims or uh, experience. And also what the Vietnamese experience uh, experienced during the war and experience now. Many of the poems, uh, even of the veterans and of the Vietnamese, are in first person. Oh, wow. I, my, um, I open my empathy and compassion to the maximum degree, and this is part of the answer of poetry. Poetry is the language of the soul. Mm. Oh, I think you were just jumping into my question. I was like, why, why is poetry healing? Why is poetry healing? And I think, could you share and elucidate a little bit of that about why, yes. what's in the power in the words that poetry yeah. has? I will, and I'll just give a shout out to the National Poetry Therapy Association because there is poetry therapy. I'll and uh, it is practiced and taught, and, and I use it too. Uh, I have some of our veterans write poetry, um, and those who don't, I, I assign it or invite it and assign it, and I have them read other people's uh, poetry of war. Mm -hmm. The Psalms of David are, uh, we have 150 Psalms of David. They're war poems. Yeah. 75, half of the Psalms are poems of PTSD, of David's anguish mm -hmm. from war and its aftermath. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, the oldest poem we have on the planet, the oldest book, is a war poem, mm -hmm. the Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, almost 5,000 years old. So poetry awakens the heart and the soul and expresses the culture and uses the imagery that is in our psyches and in culture and in the collective unconscious, and it channels that. And so it's through imagery and emotion that the soul talks and through imagery and emotion mm. uh, that poetry works and that we can uh, penetrate ourselves and each other to the deepest. And in Vietnam also, it's a very literate country. Uh, they say everybody here is a poet. Of course we know the value of poetry. Um, doesn't mean everybody's a good poet. <laughs> But everybody's a poet. There is a poet. Yeah, they may not be a good everybody's poet, a but they're poet. a poet. And, and they live yeah. by poetry. I would, I would probably so, be considered in that group, you know. I, got, I'm, I might be a poet, but I'm not a good poet. <laughs> they know yeah. the difference, and right. everybody is welcome to read and to recite and to share. Yeah. And so one of our healing activities in Vietnam is we get together their veterans who are, write poetry and our veterans, and we have, with my colleagues, we have the poems from each side translated into the other one's language. Mm. So we have 
poetry readings from both sides with the poems writ, uh, uh, recited in both languages and also scouts on or more truth within one or two poems the veterans from the opposite side are jumping up and saying that's my poem that's my experience that's what happened to me let me read it in my language wow. and they're embraced they're arm in arm they're arm in arm reading the same words wow. in their own languages saying here we are. This was our both of our experience, and we're brothers and sisters forever, and we have to tell this to the world. So these are some of the reasons that I use poetry. <laughs> uh, and, and also in stretching beyond the, the more conventional confines of the psycho psychological work mm -hmm. into using the humanities, mm -hmm. what makes us human, and so bring big. all of that. Uh, arts and culture mm -hmm. uh, into that effort. And as you also know, as a warrior, actor, yourself, artist yourself, we both affirm that warriors need art forms. Mm -hmm. And most warrior traditions in ancient times uh, and traditional cultures all insisted that their warriors had art forms. Mm -hmm. They need an art to balance the killing arts, mm -hmm. to balance the martial arts. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the Japanese samurai gave us the, the best haiku poets in Japanese landscape painting. <laughs> we should be giving yeah. all of our veterans and warriors the art forms, and you, we also know and affirm this and work with them, and you've done it, God bless you. I'll brag on you uh, too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Bringing Greek tragedy down to Skid Row. Yeah. How visionary is that? And the whole world needs to know about this. Oh, really. thank you. <laughs> um, so we're giving the arts back to our afflicted people who need those forms to achieve catharsis and transformation and healing. Yes, we do, and that's just part of it. It's when one of the part, biggest aspects of my healing was being able to tap into what, what it was that made me human. I had become so divorced from my own self and my own emotions, my own feelings, my own sense of goodness and, and understanding of what it was, how, what is in our nature, what makes a, a, a person a human being and, and the feelings. And so the arts was what connected me to it. And hearing that and being, uh, you know, absorbed into a play, into a circumstance and understanding and connecting to those characters, connecting to those uh, different scenarios and circumstances and putting myself into those circumstances. And I was like, oh, my gosh, wow. Now I'm walking in somebody else's shoes. Now I'm able to be able to hear from a different perspective. And it just opened me up. And yes, those catharsis, cathartic moments happened when I broke time and space and was able to fully embody that. And the release from that is tremendous, so much. The arts are so powerful in helping us to achieve the cleansing that we so dearly deserve and need. So we together have just evolved a new healing adage. War and violence drain the soul and the arts and humanities restore them. <laughs> That's right. And it's just yes. true. Yeah. That's a truth that, well, people will attack that too, but that's what I'm living in. Just how, about we, how about we do a poem to demonstrate some of this? That would be fantastic. Let's, yes, let's dig into the book. Okay, so I, we will have the time together to share a few of the poems from the book, and that's good. Uh, and since this is sacred time and space, that when we are together and share this 
material, it always is. So I'm going to begin with a poem called Praying. Mm -hmm. uh, and our time is sacred, and well, you'll hear this. Um, this is just a two stanza poem. And the first stanza is what happened in the war, and the second is what happened when we went back. But I want to give a little context. So this one of our veterans uh, turned 19 in Vietnam on a very remote fire base in the jungle when enemy forces mounted a suicide attack against his, his uh, fire base and position. So the first stanza you will hear is his praying during combat mm. and how he felt and what it did to him. And then, well, you need the story. In that battle, um, when as he turned 19 and some of his comrades were wounded or killed, they did kill 300 enemy. It was a suicide attack. Mm. They dug a mass grave and put all of the enemy bodies in that grave and just covered it over and hid it. All right, we all know about PTSD and moral injury. This man suffered terrible moral injury from that. He had dreams of those dead. He had nightmares where he felt their souls crying to be returned. Why did you do this to us? Why did you send us back to our families? We're still lying under the, the earth unknown. Uh, this is terrible anywhere. It's especially terrible in Vietnam because the ancient Buddhist belief is that if the body is missing, the soul is stuck and wandering between the worlds and cannot move on it in its cycle of reincarnation. Yeah. So our vet deeply, desperately wanted to go back to find that battle site mm -hmm. and to uh, let the Vietnamese know where the grave is and to return, return the, uh, the bodies. So the first stanza is his praying during the firefight, and the second is when we went back mm -hmm. and what happened as we returned the site to the Vietnamese. And it's in first person. I'm writing as if I'm the veteran. So here we go, praying. Never in my life did I pray so hard as that day at the smoking bottom of this mountain among giant boulders and fallen trees when the enemy overran our wire and sprouted like berserk rice stalks no farther away than the length of my rifle and our muzzles became God's wrathful eyes. Mm. Mm. Never in my life did I pray so hard until today on the cloud-crowned top of this mountain. There's a Buddhist pagoda up there. Mm. That's where we went. Um, never in my life did I pray so hard until today on the, the cloud-crowned top of this mountain among smiling Buddha statues and wafting incense when their children took my hands and called me uncle and the monks bowed to me if, as if I were a saint. And I embraced their dead as my true brothers. And God's loving eyes gazed through my torn and mending heart. Oh. He was so afraid the Vietnamese would condemn him, maybe throw him into prison. Yeah. They embraced him, they thanked him, they loved him. 
They gave him their babies, their infants to hold and to bless. Wow. He said, I'm not worth, I'm not worthy of holding your babies. He said, no, you are most worthy of holding our babies because you brought the souls of our loved ones back to us. Wow. And you have a home here with us forever. So this man went from severe isolation, PTSD and moral injury, and hiding out in the boonies here in the United States. Uh, not only is he healed and out of isolation, he's gone back to Vietnam several times on his own since this trip, mm. and he married a Vietnamese woman. Wow. <laughs> and he's become, now he lives in two countries and he supports that family. And what atonement and reconciliation they truly are my family, and I love them, and they love me, and I'm well now. What a testimony, <clears throat> and to the power that returning back to where you lose your soul, that moment, that place where moral, the moral injury occurred, the, that, that violence to your soul occurred, you know, whether uh, for in this book, the, obviously in Vietnam and, and returning to that, what is the power that is that is that resides in this returning back, this, this reconciliation with former foes? Why is that so restorative? Why does it have that kind of an impact where a person who's been tormented for decades uh, of a pain that they can't release. Suddenly they go there and it's like, it's like immediate atonement. It, it is. It's immediate atonement. Uh, we receive forgiveness from the Vietnamese people. Mm. Uh, let's back up. Trauma, violent trauma is so penetrating to the mind, the heart, and the soul that the images and their emotions go way down deep into our core. So deep that they're deeper than almost anything else that we carry. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll share this, uh, this is an important story to understand trauma. Uh, my father-in-law, who just died three years ago at the age of 95, was a World War II veteran. He'd been in the Army Engineer, I won't tell his whole story, that's too complicated. But um, he was on the troop ships for the invasion of Japan. Mm -hmm. And while he was being shipped over, we dropped the bombs. As an engineer, his unit was bivouacked six miles from Hiroshima. Wow. He was through Hiroshima many times. And he saw that devastation. Yeah. The very last thing he remembered in his human life, he had a beautiful marriage of 65 years. He had three beautiful daughters. You know my wife. Yes. He forgot them all. He forgot he had been married. He forgot he had children. He forgot everybody's name. The only thing he remembered in his last weeks on earth was Hiroshima. That had penetrated him more deeply than anything else. Wow. That's what trauma, trauma, violent trauma and traumatic imagery does to us. So it is of utmost, and so uh, our Vietnam veterans still have that traumatic imagery in their hearts and their souls. Mm -hmm. It comes out in their nightmares. Mm -hmm. It comes back in their flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And it's frozen in there until we can change it. Mm -hmm. So going back to Vietnam yeah. and seeing, like Hiroshima, we actually we showed our father, uh, my father-in-law, some image, uh, 
photos from Hiroshima today to show him it's a thriving city again. He couldn't believe it. He was so grateful to see it. <laughs> it didn't replace the A-bomb image, unfortunately. But it, with our Vietnam veterans, it can. Mm -hmm. They go back saying, uh, I'm afraid it's still going to stink from the burning fuel cans and mm -hmm. shit cans. Excuse mm -hmm. me. I'm supposed to say that on the radio. That's okay. We're good. <laughs> yeah, we're good. We're talking to warriors. <clears throat> we're talking to warriors. We're talking honestly. We want to have honest, truthful, right. genuine right. conversations here. So they're afraid that Vietnam still looks like it did during the war when they left it. Those images are still frozen in here, and we take them back there, and they see Vietnam is green and growing and recovering again. The people are not angry. Uh, some of our vets go expecting to be arrested when we get to the airport mm -hmm. for what they did during the war. But instead, oh, you haven't been here in many years. They don't say, were you in the war? They never ask that. They're so polite. They say, by any chance, we, did you visit us before 1975? <laughs> uh, and they say, yes. Oh, you're our honored guest. We're so glad you're here. Come, come through that the uh, airport lines let us escort you in uh, uh, we welcome you as our honored beloved guest we're so glad you've come back wow. and then we go to places so the fear of the other disappears and the former feared foe becomes a beloved friend mm. and they see the places where they fought that in their minds are still burning but they're green and beautiful and recovered and we do, you know, we meet with victims, uh, Agent Orange victims, yeah. war wounded, uh, and they have the opportunity to help them, mm -hmm. to help them heal. And so we always, and you've helped with this also, uh, and to our audience, you can all help with this. We've all, we've been practicing um, philanthropy in Vietnam for 20 years. Mm -hmm. We've built two schools where American planes bombed schools into non-existence. We help Agent Orange victims. We uh, built a heating and hot water system, a solar-powered system for an Agent Orange uh, rehabilitation facility. Some of our vets adopt children or adopt families and sponsor them. So they have the opportunity to directly practice atonement. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the concept of moral injury now, and both of us work with our veterans on that too. Most moral injury programs have people sitting in talking circles, conf uh, confessing their injury, mm -hmm. and just talking about it and trying to forgive themselves. There's a wonderful and important book called Beyond Forgiveness, and it's mm -hmm. about this. Yep. You know this too. Yep. Uh, forgiveness is necessary but not complete. We need atonement. We need to put the world back together uh, where we help take it apart. Mm -hmm. Or symbolically put it together here back stateside, but in ways that uh, we harmed it. Mm -hmm. So gaining forgiveness from the people, replacing the traumatizing imagery with life-giving imagery, making friends out of former foes, mm -hmm. and practicing atonement and helping restore and rebuild the world, all just us PATSD apart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, and that's why it's just such an important testament when you hear those kinds of stories and you, and you see actually the transformations that occur, and you've seen that for the last 20 years in your reconciliation journeys, uh, taking uh, Vietnam veterans back to do this process. 
And when you see it happening, it's like you want to share it with the world. You want to let everybody know that this doesn't have to be uh, a permanent you know, condition, that you can actually move it and transform it. But we have to take action. It can't just be an internal thing. It's got to be act, uh, forgiveness in action. You have to move through that in order to get to the place where, wow, I'm, I'm back in order with the rest of the world. My life, I'm back in harmony and balance, and I have been restored. I've gathered these aspects of my soul that I had lost, and now I have made those uh, efforts to atone for it. And I've come and re reconciled with my former foe. And wow, now we can be friends. The, li the, the, the weight that is lifted off of their shoulders is, is enormous. It's, <laughs> it's yes, enormous. Yes, yes. And let, let me add one more factor. Uh, because of the death, destruction, and losses... Uh, war is not a complete experience. Mm -hmm. Again, it keeps going on and on in our hearts and our souls, and our warriors feel like they've left incomplete things behind. Like our Afghanistan veterans are really suffering, not because the war is over. Most, uh, most of the ones I work with say it's a good thing. It should have been over a yeah. decade or more ago. However, we didn't finish, and we still didn't finish because we left loved ones and friends and allies behind. Yes. Uh, and we also things we don't like and we need to fix it mm -hmm. so going back also gives people the opportunity to complete what couldn't be completed during the war mm -hmm. and uh, let me give another poem that yes gives, uh, an I'll, example of that i was gonna just ask you let's read another poem let's bring another of the okay. magic here on the show well so this one is called an american nurse builds a windy tomb mm -hmm. so i've also We've had 5,000 women, uh, mostly nurses, but some others uh, in Vietnam, along with uh, well, all in the uh, two and a half million men. Um, that's changed now, obviously, with so many more women serving, and so we honor our women service people now, and also the wounds that they take because they have such big hearts. Yes. So this poem um, is written in honor of an American nurse who was on the hospital ship, the USS Sanctuary, which was docked off Da Nang. And people don't know this either. Our medical military personnel are exposed to more war trauma than even the most grizzled combat veteran. Because the wounded and the dying and the dead never stop coming. It's 24-7 for every minute of every day they're there. Whereas battles are horrible, but at least it stops for a little while and maybe you get a rest and you're glad to be alive and you have some beers before you have to do it again. Uh, the medical personnel never get that break. Right. So this nurse also tended wounded Vietnamese and she especially bonded with a little girl whose legs were blown off. And she was treating this little girl on her boat. She became like a surrogate mother to the girl, they bonded deeply, deeply, deeply. Uh, well, um, the, the child was eventually taken back by her family and our nurse doesn't know if she survived. Mm -hmm. And she's been carrying that child's soul her whole life mm -hmm. and in grief over that child. This was really her, her child. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got a daughter. All right. So in Vietnam, there's a practice called uh, building a windy tomb. A windy tomb is an empty tomb that's filled when we think somebody has died, but there's no body. Um, but we treat the tomb as a home for the soul. Mm-hmm. And Vietnamese families go to the tomb and do the same ceremony that they would do if, if there was a body there. Mm-hmm. So the soul has some place to come home to. Our nurse needed to build a windy tomb for her beloved Vietnamese child. And this is the story. So this is called, The American Nurse Builds a Windy Tomb. Uh, for any of you veterans out there who were there in Vietnam, uh, this happened at Chu Lai, which is south of Da Nang and was the site of the very first battle against the Viet Cong, the Americans in Viet Cong in 65, I believe. So the American nurse builds a windy tomb, also in her voice, first person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My back is bowed. From decades of carrying the soul of the legless girl who began as my patient but became my niece as we flew colored flags off in the wind off my ship. In dreams my eyes are pink and swollen with the ocean of tears both shed and withheld. Since the angry wounded These were American wounded on the ship. Mm -hmm. Since the angry wounded called her VC child and her parents' desperate arms snatched her back to the jungle. Now we're at the tomb. Mm -hmm. Today I carry one stone at a time. With each dripping tear I recite her name. Mm -hmm. Gently I lay her down off my back and give my lost niece this tomb for a home. Eight children tumble around my fractured legs to help me lay the last stones on her cairn. A single red dragonfly hovers in our wafting incense and a sweet breeze kisses my cheek with her name. Wow, Ed, that's uh, so beautiful uh, and so personal. It's amazing when we, when I hear poetry, and I, and I, I'm sure our audience, when they're listening to your poetry, are just so deeply moved by it. Uh, but it takes us to, it to a different place. It takes us all of a sudden, you know, when they hear us talking and, and discoursing and conversing, it, it, there's a different kind of rhythm to it. There's a different kind of cadence to it. There's a, there's a different pattern. But when you listen to poetry and you're hearing in that poetic, that lifted language, you know, that epic language, all of a sudden it arrests your attention in a different way. It grabs your soul. And you're just like each image, each word has so much power. It's incredible. It's really incredible. Mm. Yes. Thank you. Right on. And this is important for yeah. our audience, too. People aren't reading, uh, lots of people are writing poetry now, their own, but people aren't reading it very much. And uh, we hope some of you will um, find uh, 
use and healing and, and inspiration from this poetry book, but people aren't reading and buying poetry mm -hmm. too much now. And so that's another loss to our culture that we all need to help restore. Mm -hmm. The humanistic and the spiritual dimensions. When we're reading nonfiction prose, they're good, they're important, and we mm -hmm. can tell stories, but it still first appeals to the mind. Yes. Whereas poetry, as you rightly say, appeals to the heart and the soul and our whole being. And we feel it and experience it, mm -hmm. uh, not filtering it first through the mind, but feeling it and grasping it, and then we can make sense of it afterwards. Exactly. I think one of the lost arts that we miss is that with, you know, be, uh, with the ancient Greeks that you were able to say those great epic poems, uh, like the Iliad and the Odyssey and, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh, those would have been sung. Those would have been, uh, uh, you know, a poet would have been, an orator would have been singing that out and it would have been praising that out. They had it all memorized and so there was rhythm and language and, and it, it, would, it would grab you in a different way than just reading it. And so when you're reading your poetry out loud to us from your new book here, uh, it's just, it's... It's incredible. I, I think we need to re. I think we need to reinvigorate it, Ed. I think we need to bring it back somehow. I don't know who's going to do it, but I think we need to. Well, we're doing it a little bit, buddy, right now. That's it. And keep it. Um, I'd like to give some, uh, maybe some short poems uh, and more about the Vietnamese experience. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so far, these two poems were American veteran stories, and of course, they're critical. But another contribution of my work, my book, is uh, to bring the Vietnamese stories here to America so that we can all make friends and reconcile between our cultures and understand, um, well, the forms of suffering that they had that are not the same as PTSD. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how did they deal with so much violence and not have it? So uh, this, is, this is a short poem, um, but a huge story. Uh, the poem is called The Gardener, and uh, this is uh, about the aftermath of the My Lai Massacre. For those who don't know, I was shocked that I did an interview with a 30-something uh, uh, culture critic the other day, and she didn't know, she never heard of the My Lai Massacre. She didn't know that Vietnam was the last time we had a draft. She never heard of the lottery system. Whoa. She didn't know, she hardly knew anything about the Vietnam War. It's already disappearing from history. That's terrible. Yeah. That is a travesty. We can't let that happen. Right. <laughs> so for any of you out there who might not know, the My Lai Massacre was the worst atrocity that we know of during the American War in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Uh, My Lai was a small village on the central coastal area. Uh, there were false reports that there might have been Viet Cong activity in the village. In fact, I took a ranger back who had been through My Lai three days before the massacre. Mm. And he reported no enemy activity, no hidden gun caches, nothing. It's a friendly, peaceful village. He submitted and his unit submitted that report. Three days later, the massacre. After the war, he went searching in military records for the report that he knows because he, he wrote it. Disappeared. Whoa. Disappeared. All right. Wow. So, uh, was it March 1969, I think? Forgive me if I have the date wrong, but in the little village of Mili, our Charlie company had been through hard times 
with an invisible enemy, and so they went berserk, and they killed 504 villagers. There were no men present. They were gone, because they knew the Americans were hunting. So these were women, children, and old people. Infants. All right, so uh, the first time I went to Milai, I met a 90-year-old woman gardener who survived the massacre. Mm. And she was the only one of her entire family who survived. Uh, there's a, this is just four little haiku. And let's see if the whole story comes across. <laughs> so uh, I had the blessing of sitting with her and hearing and witnessing her story, sharing my sorrow of it, and You'll wait till you hear the last haiku. We can then we can talk about it. <laughs> so again, her words in her voice, even though she didn't speak English, but we can transcend these differences through love and poetry. The gardener, he, a 90-year-old massacre survivor. Bright-eyed boy playing peekaboo on my mother's grave. Beyond the ditch where my daughters died, new green rice. All she had for gardening tools was a rusty scissors. Each snip of my rusty scissors, a gun blast. You wish to help me heal? Please, let me forgive you. I asked what I could do to help her heal. She said, I I wished I had died on that day with my family. It would have been easier. She doesn't have PTSD. She has lifelong chronic grief, and she should. Yeah. Yeah. So how can I help you heal, grandmother? I have come to understand that the reason I have lived this long to this distant day so is that I I could meet American veterans and look into their eyes and take their hands and forgive them (laughs) and help them heal and comfort. That's an incredible story. (laughs) The only survivor, she was the only survivor of the whole... Massacre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she lives to meet us and forgive us. The strength that that takes to be able to forgive, because she could have held that resentment, that anger, that hatred, that deep soul, that not soul, but that deep core hatred that can that can poison the soul, where uh, you are my enemy forever. You know that yeah. that sense of vengeance that that taps into the the predator in us where we can do very dark things when we're locked and trapped in that cycle. And for her to choose not to harbor that, I think is a lesson for us all. Because she, yeah. she, she had every right to harbor that against that for the re- and, and justifiably so. Mm-hmm. Yes. Justifiably so. so. One of our veterans uh, fell through a porch and had a significant leg injury we went to find a doctor 
uh, to give him emergency care in our hospital. Mm -hmm. The doctor's there in the middle of the night and our veteran says, well, who are you and why are you treating me and what happened to you during the war? And he just smiled and said, oh, I was a doctor for the Viet Cong. What, and you're treating me and you want to? Of course, my brother. I'm a doctor and I heal and you're my brother and we survived the same hell. Of course I'm here for you. So uh, some of our veterans, part of PTSD can be that some of our veterans are not only still frightened because of what they experienced, but they're also, they still hate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. these stories and learning who the Vietnamese people are, really are and that they have very good reasons for hating, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we hope and pray that releases our veterans from the imprisonment in their own hatred. Could you share another poem? We've got a few more minutes, uh, Ed, for the show. I'd love for you to you know, share another one. And uh, your book is called uh, Coming Home in Vietnam. Coming Home in Vietnam. It is the premiere. It has just been released, and you can buy it now on Amazon. And uh, what's the other place that they can buy the oh, book? The, the publisher is Tia Chucha Press, T-I-A-C-H-U-C-H-A. -C -H uh, and uh, they're a press out of a, a really um, visionary cultural center in the barrio in Los Angeles. So they specialize in bringing out books that are especially helpful and supportive of our disenfranchised populations. So really the best thing would be go to go to them and buy it directly, because then you're also supporting this significant cultural center um, that's bringing healing to America. Well, that's fantastic. But you can go to Amazon, but Tia Chucha Press. Tia Chucha Press, everyone. Tia Chucha Press, buy the book. There's, I mean, the poetry here is just like... <laughs> Incredible. So please share with us another one here of, uh, of what and, and the story like behind it. Maybe for one more. Mm -hmm. so, uh, I'm going to pick out a one that's especially special to me. <laughs> uh, as we said, we make extraordinary relationships with uh, the Vietnamese people. So um, my wife, Kate, and I do have an adopted uh, goddaughter mm -hmm. in Vietnam. Uh, she lives in the north in a small village a couple of hours outside of Hanoi. Uh, I want to tell all stories about her. She's been on a lot of our journeys. Uh, she loves our veterans. She created a friendship organization between Vietnamese college students and American veterans. Mm. They want to know us so, so badly. And she's been uh, accompanied us on some of our journeys. Um, we, we were just talking about My Lai, so we've been to My Lai together, she and I. Mm. And that's what I'm going to read. Her name is Nguyen Di Nhoc. Nhoc, N-G-O-C. It means jade in Vietnamese. And she is. She's, <laughs> she's a blessing. All right, so this is called, and this shows how we share the wounds, and we make the wounds both of ours, and brings healing for us all. This is called Letter to My Daughter After Visiting Me Life. It also shows how the traumatic imagery stays in us until we find ways to release it. So, yesterday we walked side by side and hand in hand through the petrified prints of the bare feet of fleeing mothers and children 
and the stomping combat boots of marauding GIs. We stood in the kitchen of ghosts. We hugged before the hats, shirts, canes of those who can no longer use them. I felt such shame. See, this one's in my voice. <laughs> I, I felt such shame uh, that I could no longer feel worthy to be your father, but all you did was my, wipe my tears and call me Bo, which is father in Vietnamese. Mm. All you did was wipe my tears and call me father. That cane, that hat were worn by an old man who walked into your dreams last night. Terror in his eyes, last prayer on his lips. He came with the one who married him forever. The GI you saw, beating, 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 his head, his face, his arms, his body. This morning, your own head screams with his pain. His eyes are behind your eyes. This morning, my fingers try to squeeze your ache away and I see his wounds and his blood breaking through your gentle almond face. Mm. You cannot stand the pain of your grandfather or the long suffering of your country. I cannot stand the pain of my daughter or the endless shame of my nation. Side by side, hand in hand, we carry this pain together. Side by side, incense between our palms we bow as one before the altar of the dead wow. when i listen to you share the that that poem and uh, and all the poems that you've read so far from this uh brand new book that you've written it's like i've been there, i'm walking there with you it's like I'm, I'm seeing what you're seeing. I'm hearing what you're hearing. I'm smelling what you're smelling. I mean, I'm there with you. And I think that's such a mark of a, 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 an amazing book. When, when an author or a poet can, in just in, in reciting the words, can create a whole world for you. and can create a whole world for the, uh, the veteran or the a student of history or the student of uh, of, of language and understanding to be able to give that to people so that they can hear the stories in a way that is so deep. I think it's such a, a tribute to your abilities and your skill set as, as a poet because, boy, I'm with you there. <laughs> I am with you there. And I, this is going to be – how long – how many poems are in the book, by the way? Is oh, there, um – Thank you for asking that uh, to all of our friends out there. Uh, this is a major part of my life's work. Uh, this book is 180 pages. Oh, wow. There's about, yeah, there's about 100. And, there's a, a, an introductory essay to talk about poetry and war healing and reconciliation between our people and why there's no PTSD there. And then it's, uh, and so there's about 140 poems in the book. Wow. And it's 20 years of work. I began writing these when I began traveling to Vietnam in 2000, all the way through now. Wow. Um, and so, and it is, uh, thank you, it is organized as a travelogue. 
So you will, the readers will be traveling through Vietnam with me and through the decades, with me, with our veterans, with the Vietnamese people, and I hope and pray they will all have the kind of experience you're describing of, we're walking through this together. Yes. I want the book to be a healing journey for every reader. And where can they get the book again? Tia Chucha Press. Tia Chucha Press. T-I-A-C-H-U-C-H-A Press. Uh, go to their website. Uh, it is on Amazon. It's on uh, the independent, um, I forget them. You can also go to independent bookstores and order through your own favorite bookstore. Wow. Folks, go get this book and share it with your uh, your Vietnam veteran friends and their families. Share it with uh, other veterans. Let people know about this book and go on this healing journey. We need to heal our, our collective soul from this uh, deep wound, American wound, uh, the American war. And by reuniting and reconnecting our peoples together in these ways, and also those who were refugees and others who experienced the calamities of that, uh, it will open up new pathways for us to make a better and healthier and more stable world for everybody who lives on this beautiful planet. So go out, buy the book, Coming Home in Vietnam, and buy Dr. Edward Tick. Uh, Ed, thank you so much for being on the show again. I always love You're going to come back, right? When we start the next season? Okay. Okay. My dear brother Charlie, we are on this path um, forever together. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I uh, just want to thank everybody working in the back there, Henry and uh, everybody here at KUHS who makes all the magic happen behind the scenes so that all the lighting, all the sound, everything, making sure everything's connected. If it wasn't for everybody here at KUHS and Henry, thank you so much for making it all possible so that uh, we could have this show and we could be broadcasting to all of you. Thank you, Ed. Uh, is there anything, something last you would like to say to our audience before we go? Hoa Bin means peace in Vietnamese. Ah. Let us all together work for peace, for Hoa Bin, for each other, for our whole planet. We really can do this. We can change it. And you and I are presenting evidence that it is possible to heal from even the worst traumas with yes. love and humanity. Yes, it is. It is absolutely possible. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Everyone, thank you for being here on the council. Peace be with you. The council is adjourned. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. We will be back very soon. God bless. Have a great weekend, everyone.